Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the Sock Takes Pod, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We've got a nice show lined up for you tonight. A couple regulars on the panel. I'm joined by two Sock Takes staff writers. we got Aaron Gunyan and John Leonard. Aaron, what's going on, man? Hey, Kevin. Not a lot's going on. Trying to get over some sniffles, so you might hear that throughout the podcast. But other than that, it's Wednesday night. I'm ready to do this. Let's get started. No worries on the sniffling, you know. That's that that Donald Trump at the debates, right? <laughs> it's I got this baby. She's at daycare all the time. I think she just she's like a disease um, Velcro magnet type thing. She gathers it up from the kids and then brings it back to me. I don't know. She seems to be healthy as a horse, but I'm sick all the time. <laughs> and John, thanks for joining us tonight. How's it going, buddy? It's going well. I'm. Uh... Just settling in in L.A., flew over from Dallas this afternoon, and I've been on like seven different forms of transportation today. <laughs> nice. And of course, I'll be steering the ship today. You're stuck with me as the host. I'm Kevin Johnston, and we've got a great guest today, luckily. She is the managing director, the brand new managing director of the National Premier Soccer League, the NPSL. It's Cindy Spera. Thanks so much for joining us, Cindy. And how's it going? Thank you, guys. Very well. I'm waiting for it to uh, warm up a little bit in New York. It's pretty cold out, and uh, <laughs> we need spring to come up here. Hey, you, you might be getting it tomorrow. It actually uh, hit up into the 60s finally here today. So we've had that same awful right. weather, but uh, hopefully it's drifting your way tomorrow. So anyway, let's jump right Excellent. into it, Cindy. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, so tell us, what are kind of some of your day-to-day job responsibilities as managing director of the NPSL? Um, it runs the gamut. Um, you know, usually this time of year, my day will start, you know, after the weekend, Monday morning, checking the results, seeing, you know, if anything eventful happened over the weekend, um, you know, if any, we had any big crowds, things of that nature. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good combination between the general operational stuff and then, you know, special things that come up, talking to sponsors, working a little bit on expansion, um, you know, figuring out like what our next move is going to be strategically. We have some projects going on in the background. So it definitely runs the gamut. It's probably no different than, than any other small business. You know, we have a, we have a small, but very strong staff, um, and, you know, t- different things come your way all day. But the good news is, is it's, uh, as a small business, it's a soccer business. So I guess it's talk to coaches, owners, um, and people, you know, with the same passion all day long. So that's the good part. And you yourself had a, a decorated playing career um, as an amateur and also after college as well. Um, I read your excellent interview you did with Goal Nation, and um, it also talked about you have uh, quite an extensive background in finance as well. I believe you were working pretty much in the heart of Wall Street, if I'm not mistaken. So um, tell our listeners maybe just a little bit about your background. Yeah, so both of those things, you've got that exactly right. So I, um, I played soccer in college. Um, I played since I was you know, six years old out on Long Island. Um, went to college, played there. And then um, first two years after I graduated, um, there are a lot of uh, local leagues around for women. Um, some of them were pretty high level, good players. But there was really nothing that was um, really run at a professional type of level. And then in 1994, 
the um, what was the W League at the time and, and was already running, um, you know, on the men's side, uh, started this W League, a women's program, and the Long Island Rough Riders started a team for women. So I was fortunate enough to play on that team, which was an amazing experience and feel so fortunate to have been able to do that. And uh, the team actually won the national championship in 1995 and 1997. Um, so that was cool. It was, it was awesome. It was like a dream come true. I mean, we, we had a place to play. It was high level. We traveled. We had owners who supported us. So that was a great experience. Um, after that ended, I, uh, and, and during that time, I was, I was, you know, as all of us who are uh, at that time, women playing, we were, you know, also working. It wasn't our full-time job. So um, that got to be a little much for me, uh, working and playing. So I transitioned to a team in Manhattan called the New York Athletic Club, um, which has a long history of athletics generally. Um, it was actually, that club was founded in 1868 and celebrating its 150th um, anniversary this year, and they support amateur athletics, including soccer, lacrosse, or a whole gamut of sports. So it was a wonderful place to play, and the women's uh, soccer team there was very supported. So um, we won a national championship there as well, um, and it was I, I feel fortunate to be you know part of both those organizations. And then in terms of the business, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want me to elaborate on that, yeah, I worked um, I worked in the banking industry. Right out of college, um, I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank and then for Morgan Stanley, and it was crazy times. I was there, you know, when the housing market crashed in 2008. Um, so I was there for the good times, the bad times, the crazy times. And then <laughs> in, uh, in 2013, I, uh, I decided to pack it in, and I was one of those cre- crazy people that left the banking industry and got out, and I moved out all the way out on Eastern Long Island to the Hamptons. So now I live, you know, 10 minutes away from the beach, and I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky um, to be living in such a beautiful place. And then, the, you know, I got involved. I was always, always kept involved with soccer, and I'm, you know, so fortunate to, to now have it as an actual career, uh, to actually work in soccer. It's, it's fantastic. You said, um, I'm just going to jump back in and piggyback on this Morgan Stanley, a Wall Street type thing. You said you were there for the crazy times. What do you mean by crazy times? I'm picturing in my head, you know, oversized hats, and pinwheels and you know people people blowing bubbles we did, and... we did have a halloween party where people dressed up um the crazy you know the, we, the crazy times were like you know there was like the go-go years where these banks were doing fantastic and there was like parties and dinners and you know people making money and traders making money you know hand over foot and, uh, and, you know, it was fun times. And then there were like the, the you know, the bad times after, you know, I, I watched, I watched from, you know, my building people walk out of Lehman with boxes. I mean, I was there that day and, you know, saw that happen. And, um, you know, was, was in my building, um, you know, on Broadway for 9-11 and, you know, watched how that, that affected the markets and the industry and then the housing crisis in 2008. Um, you know, and now, you know, things are, and things have bounced back since then. And, you know, the, the Dow hit 30,000 and, uh, you know, it's been, it's been, you know, it's a roller coaster. It always is. So that's what I mean by crazy, crazy, but good, but also ran its course. So <laughs> I'm happy to be where I am. We have to be careful. The sock taste podcast could turn into a political podcast. We'll be talking about um, <laughs> consumer protection agency rollbacks in a matter of time. But 
I want to talk about something else that you touched on for a minute, and I don't know if it's too personal or not, but you uh, mentioned you were heavily involved with women's athletics and, and there weren't a lot of places for you to be at a certain time. But uh, where do you see yourself now as a woman in an industry that perhaps is overly male dominated? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think that, um, you know, hopefully over time that almost becomes an irrelevant question, right? And women are doing so much now it is obviously soccer and sports is a very, very male dominated industry. Um, we are, as I you know, mentioned earlier, we're running a small business, right? So, um, it's a soccer business, which makes it, you know, so much fun in, in so many ways, but it's a business. So I think there, um, when you think about it that way, you know, you have a lot of capable women out there, so many more than you had, you know, 25 years ago, um, making great strides in the business world and in, in industry. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to put my own stamp on things and make an impact. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think hopefully, you know, at some point, we won't even be asking those questions anymore. Um, but soccer is definitely male dominated and, and uh, I'm, I'm used to that, you know, based on my background, there's been a lot of times where I've been the only person in the boardroom. So um, I'm ready for the challenge. John. Uh, I just, this is kind of a little bit off the cuff, but what gets more crazy and dramatic wall street or the wonderful world of semi-professional American soccer? <laughs> it's such a good question. I don't, even, I don't even know how to answer that. It's like so different, but so the same. Because in, in, you know, in, in that kind of banking Wall Street atmosphere, you do have like crazy personalities. Like your, your commodities guys are a certain way and your traders are a certain way. And then you have, you know, your operations guys, like all different personalities, some really polished, some really rough around the edges, some, you know, just crazy personalities and some very, very professional um, you know, and very buttoned up. And it's really the same with soccer, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, you deal with, with, with different types of personalities every day. I mean, I'm dealing with, with owners that have, that are running small businesses that have, you know, $350,000 budgets, right? Like real businesses that are getting like filling stands, right? And then you have like this, the really small business owner that, you know, doesn't care if he loses $10,000 a year, he just does it for the love of the game. So it's, uh, it's similar in that way. I, I, it's hard to say what's crazier. Um, it's hard to say. I think the stuff that crosses my desk in soccer is, is definitely, definitely, definitely a little, a little, a little bizarre, but also like so easy to embrace. I mean, everyone I deal with loves the game, loves the sport, and that's what everyone has in common. So I guess on Wall Street, a lot of people had in common that they want to make money. Where in this industry, everyone has in common that they just love soccer. So that's probably better. All right. I'm just wondering if, like, I, I, I bet Wall Street had a little bit fewer people stealing artificial turf out of high school locker rooms in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> So, John, um, quick question for you, actually. You had a bit um, a bit of big personal news that you announced earlier on Twitter this week. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this new gig you got lined up? Yes, yes. Uh, so starting this week, actually, uh, 
I'll be joining on with the Women's Premier Soccer League as one of the contributors for their website covering the East and South regions. And my Whoa. first story should be coming up here in just a couple of days. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely be checking out your content. Definitely be giving you some retweets from Sock Takes and uh, really looking forward to all the work you're going to put in uh, to cover the WPSL this year. Um, and Cindy, back to you to some NPSL chatter. Uh, I'm curious to know, I know one of the, the hot button issues lately has been full season play or if not true full season play, at least, I guess, creative ways to extend the season at least, get a couple more matches in there. So would you consider that to be the biggest challenge that the NPSL faces? And um, if not, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that currently face the NPSL? Um, I think that, you know, again, going back to the small business, right, we have members or membership run league, um, and our members are almost like our customers, right? So when, when our members, um, you know, have demand for other things or expanding into other areas, we want to see if there's ways where we can provide that. So we're definitely looking at those things. We're looking at, um, you know, longer seasons. We're looking at a different, you know, maybe different levels. We're, you know, we're always kind of, trying to stay on the edge of, you know, knowing what's happening, keeping the thing, our finger on the pulse of our membership to see, um, you know, what their needs are and filling those needs. And that's, that's an opportunity, I think, more than a challenge, although it is challenging for certain. But um, it's, it's definitely, we're looking at different strategies that'll help our members be more successful and be able to put the best product they can out on the field. And I'm curious to know, because, of course, there are several, several teams in the NPSL. Clubs kind of come and go. Um, in a perfect world, they'd all stay and it would just continue to grow. But, uh, you know, every year there are new teams that kind of join in. So I'm curious to know, what are the first few things to happen kind of in the, in the vetting process, I guess you'd call it, when a potential new ownership group or club or market or whatever um, reaches out for that first time and expresses interest in possibly launching an NPSL club? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have, um, we, that's a great question. We have a dedicated person. Um, her name is Dina Case, who manages our expansion. And, um, you know, if someone reaches out, we get, you know, we get leads from, from, from all different areas. We get, you know, we get people emailing, we get personal relationships, people that come to our members. Um, we go out and kind of like look at markets and try and drive business there. But what will happen is, you know, we'll, we have, you know, initial conversations with those teams. We try and explain to them a little bit about the NPSL. We explain to them the philosophy, you know, kind of, you know, what our mission is, what we want to accomplish, what the league is all about. And, try and gauge almost like, you know, a little bit of a pre-interview with, with each other, both of us, you know, the new team that's interested, the new ownership group and the NPSL to see if it's a fit. Um, and then we have, you know, we have an application process. So teams will go through that. And then, um, as I mentioned before, it's a very membership driven league. So, um, you know, the, the board of directors, the executive board will be privy to the application. Um, but also eventually it does go to have a look by the members. Um, in that conference or in that region, depending on the situation, and uh, and they discuss it, and um, and they'll weigh in on whether they think that person would be a good partner. So we really stress through the application process, and you know, it's on our website that you know we compete for 90 minutes on the field, and we are business partners always. 
Um, so that's something that we, we try and express to a new team. We try and, you know, like hone in on whether we think that that's a philosophy that we share um, because it's what the league was, was really built on. You know, we're membership driven. We want to compete hard. But we want to support each other. So that's a very important aspect of, of bringing someone really into what we consider our family. The NPSL, this is Aaron again. Hey, Cindy. Hey. Hey, the NPSL is pretty big. There are a lot of teams. There are going to be a lot of logistical challenges, a lot of personalities, a lot of different regions, a lot of things going on, a lot of balls in the air. What do you see as um, the front office perspective as one of the largest or most difficult challenges to overcome for each individual season and uh, on into the future? Um, I, I think that there's, there's so many answers to that question. I mean, I think one of them in terms of the logistical piece, like obviously, yes, I mean, managing a hundred teams and different personalities, um, you know, is, is challenging. I mean, thankfully we have, um, you know, a director of operations. Her name is Robin Shackett. Who's like the most organized person I've ever met in my life. So she manages registration, scheduling, um, game changes, all that kind of stuff. So the logistics piece is, is definitely, um, is definitely a challenge, um, you know, with a hundred teams and a hundred personalities and a million things happen every day. It's kind of cyclical, I would say too, like during the season, um, you know, we need to really be laser focused on operations and focused on, you know, making sure, um, the teams are meeting the minimum <coughs> standards, making sure this, the schedule is correct. Like, you know, a hundred teams means about 700, somewhere around the neighborhood of 750 games, if you include postseason. Um, you got to get referees to every single one of those games. You know, something even that, that, you know, that little, like the referees, right? They just show up, of course, right? But think about the devastation if you have, you know, 5,000 people in the stands and your referees don't show up. So we've got to be laser focused this time of year on the operational aspect, right? And then, you know, we kind of move into, um, you know, August, September, then we move into our annual owners meeting and we start thinking about more about corporate things and, you know, are our bylaws really reflective of the direction that our league is going? Do we need to make changes? How do we, how do we update our policies? What's happening in the, you know, competitive landscape and, and how do we need to pivot and shift our vision and shift, you know, the directions we're going to be taking? Um, you know, and then we have our, our annual owners meeting and we spend a lot of time with the ownership, um, talking to them, kind of figuring out what the challenges were and what the aspirations are, um, and what the, the, uh, the owners of the teams in the league want to see. Um, so that, I hope that answers your question. That's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it goes very cyclical and, uh, you know, we're constantly focused on, uh, on the challenges that come our way. But the operations piece right now is the, is the big piece. And also, um, you know, what we talked about prior, kind of making sure we understand our members' businesses and how they're growing and how the NPSL can, can figure out how to make them successful and what opportunities we can take on to accommodate their needs. You brought up a really good point that I hadn't thought of, which was if the referees don't show up, I guess, who do you yell at? And that's important in sports. You have to yell at someone. You have to direct the anger somewhere. Otherwise it's not a sporting event. 
I know. The... I'm lucky. I'm lucky to say that didn't that hasn't happened. It didn't happen one time last year yeah. or the year before. I don't think so. So yeah. good. And, with all these people. And and keep in mind, nobody listens to this podcast. So with all these people in the league and in and around the league, um, who do you hate? <laughs> Don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. I will not answer that question. Go but ahead. answer I it. I might know the answer. I might know it, but I'm not going to answer it. Uh, I'll, I'll reword that into a more appropriate question. We've heard quite a few disputes between the NPSL clubs and PDL clubs. Is, is there actually like that level of animosity between the two leagues and how does the NPSL view itself within the semi-pro pyramid as a, as a whole? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm not aware of any like personal battles between teams. I probably wouldn't be. I mean, we're definitely competitive. We're all athletes, right? And, and most of our ownership and uh, and the coaches, um, you know, grew up with the sport. A lot of them played at a high level, so we're all competitive. So of course, and again, going back to the business side, right? We all we have competitors, you know. So there's other leagues out there. There's very very good leagues out there. Um, but you know, we we I think we have our special place in the market. Um, you know, again, we're we're you know we have we have a different profile of our season. You know, we are. Uh, as it stands right now, primarily except regions that are exceptions and conferences that are exceptions, but primarily, you know, we're, we're for, the, for the most part a summer season, um, you know, have a dependency on college players, and that's, that's kind of our thing, you know, and different leagues have different things, and, and we, we just need to, you know, we need to focus on ourselves and worry about ourselves and make sure we're putting the best, the best product out there. Um, so I think that, you know, that, that's where we have to keep our focus. Um, in terms of where we see ourselves, I mean, now we're, you know, we are the, the unofficial, um, you know, fourth, fourth division, right, which is not, not recognized by U.S. author. But, um, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with the product we have right now. Um, this is our baby, the NPSL, the way it exists today. Um, you know, we're 100 teams strong. Um, we're operating, you know, fi- financially, we're very strong. Um, and we have a really, really good thing, you know, good thing going here. And I think, um, you know, we, we have to choose, pick and choose our projects very strategically and carefully. And if we were going to do something, you know, at a higher level, um, it would be because our membership was asking for that or asking us to at least explore that. Um, and that's who we answer to. So that's, those are the types of things we're looking at. So let's talk about that real quick. What are the... What are the things, what are the battles that you have upcoming? It doesn't have to be adversarial, but what are the, what does the future hold for NPSL if you had something to um, unveil or, or a pet project of yours that you wanted to get out there? What's something near and dear to you that you're working on or that you'd hope to see? Um, one thing is that it always, it always frustrates me a little bit. When I, when I look, every year we go to wherever the, the at SCAA or now it's the USC United Coaches um, Convention, and we do this map, you know, this big map that we put in our booth and we have where all our teams are and their logos and everything, and there's, there's like a big hole in the middle of it where we don't have, you know, we, we're kind of all around the outside of the country. So it would be 
I would like to see over time have some success stories where we penetrate some of these markets where really like, you know, the, the UTSL, the NTSL, like, no, like where no one's really there, um, you know, and see if we can, can have some, you know, some big wins and some markets that we haven't penetrated. So that's something I always look at. Like when I think about, you know, what would I love to see? Like, you know, if I'm in this job for five years, what would it be? Like, I'd love for that map to look a little different, I think. You're going to get John pretty uh, worked up on, on expansion maps and things like that. What are some of the markets that you have in mind? I know you said there's some vacancies, but give me a, a ballpark. What What are you targeting? So I think, um, I, you know, there's, there's, there's a bunch that we're looking at. I mean, one in particular that comes to mind is the Pacific Northwest. Um, so up by Seattle, that area, we have some really fantastic teams up there. Um, I'd love to see a couple more teams. We want to focus on that area. Um, we've, you know, we've had, you know, some some interest in uh, in Colorado. Um, the challenge with with starting in a new market is always who do you play, right? So if you have one team in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere that wants to join the MPSL, it's always a challenge because like, you know, who who do they play? Like, and if you want the team to be successful, so if they're spending you know seventy five percent of their budget on travel. Um, you know, it doesn't really set them up for success. So that's, that's a challenge, um, you know, when that happens, because we do get interest in some areas that we don't have a presence. So we need to work, we need to work on strategies on how, how to bring that together and almost have like whole conferences start, um, start at one time. But I would say the Pacific Northwest, say that the Colorado area, love to see a couple more teams in Virginia. Um, so those are the ones that come to mind. And uh, the 2017 NPSL season, it was kind of chugging along very smoothly. You know, I was loving it, watching the action. And basically, depending on one of the clubs that ended up making it to the final, there was a bit of a mini controversy, let's call it, that kind of popped up for the NPSL final. Um, Essentially, what happened was uh, Midland Odessa made the final and their players or a lot of their players had to report to their college squads. So mm. it conflicted with the final, um, it created a bit of a, a mini firestorm. And I'm curious to know, Cindy, from an internal perspective, um, from kind of a, a PR uh, mitigation uh, type standpoint, how did you guys kind of handle that situation? So I, I've been waiting for an opportunity to like, to mention Jeff to fault and his impact he's had on the league because he's, he's had such an impact in the last um, two and a half years, and this is a great time to do it. So he really dug into that. We did have some challenges, and he worked with Midland. He, you know, he he was on the phone with them, and you know they were able they were able to get a very very good team. But we just we we had to, you know, part of what the league does, I and mean, we wanted to like rally around Midland and just enable them to be successful, and. They, they, the potential was there, but they needed arms and legs. They needed some people to just help them with the logistics and look up flights and figure out how to get the players back. And, and, and we did it. And I, I give all the credit in the world to Jeff for, for you know, getting us through that and having a great national championship in, uh, in New Haven. John or Aaron, you got uh, any final questions before we wrap up? Uh, I'm just curious about a, a few more things in that mainly 
When we spoke with the WPSL a few months ago now, they had been talking about how one of their goals for the next few years was to deal with the minimum standards for the league. Does the NPSL have similar aims and have similar sorts of standard adjustments and tweaking of the requirements and eligibility? Have, have we seen any of that at the league? Yeah, so we have minimum standards. Um, we, you know, we, we review them and work on them every year, um, you know, track them. This year is actually the first year that we actually have a program in place, like a technology-based, um, technology-based solution to track our minimum standards. So what we do now is after, um, after the game, the referees, they go in and they input the score and they input all this kind of stuff. But then we also have them uh, with checkboxes against our minimum standard. And it's not so much to like catch the teams or get to find out if they're doing something wrong, but to capture that data, which we've never had, so we can kind of look at where kind of our hotspots are and where, where we need to concentrate. So we're definitely focused on minimum standards, absolutely. And um, and it's always, it's always a delicate balance because – um, you know, we, we always have a, a combination of teams that are new to the league that are kind of just getting up to speed that may not have the huge budgets. And then we have the teams that are like really rolling and have figured it out and have the operations, you know, running, running themselves. So, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to compromise your minimum standards, but you also don't want to bring the hammer down so hard on on new teams where it's just you know it's just overwhelming like there almost needs to be a little bit of a grace period so that's that's actually you know that's a challenge that's a challenge for the league to figure out what that right balance is but absolutely like we are focused on minimum standards we want to run a professionally you know professionally run league um, uh, that provides a good environment for all the players all right and then just another quick thing is, I know that the WPSL and the NPSL used to be essentially two sides of the same organization. Do the two leagues still have any sort of ties to each other or collaborative efforts? So full disclosure, I, um, I, I when you were talking about the, the WPSL earlier, about starting to work with them. So I, I've volunteered for the WPSL for, for years. I, um, I know Jerry Zanelli way, way back when, when he first started the league. Um, so I've been involved. Um, last year I was the, uh, the North region, like, I guess, commissioner, they call it, um, on a volunteer basis. And then this year I'm helping with one of the conferences. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we, we have, you know, we, we always you know, had a very good partnership with, uh, with Jerry when, uh, when he was part of the league, I know that Jeff Default, um, while he was managing director, talked to the new ownership there, Sean and Debray and Brad, I believe the other gentleman's name is. So the three guys took over from Oklahoma as their first year. Um, so, yeah, we have, we have a very, very positive relationship with them, um, very supportive of them and, uh, and support them. All right. Thank you. And Cindy, uh, where can our listeners... Uh, maybe connect with you on social media and or find out more information about the NPSL. So my goodness. So Gary's setting up a Twitter account for me, but I don't have it yet, but I promise <laughs> when I do, it'll be up on the website. 
So, um, so definitely keep checking NTSL.com. Um, stay tuned for some, um, for some very significant um, enhancements to our website over the next couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, you can find me there. I think that's the best place to go. Go to NPSL.com. Well, that is our show for you this evening. I'd like to thank the panel, uh, SockTech staff writers, Aaron Gunyan and John Leonard, and special thanks to our guest. And also congratulations on the new gig as managing director of the NPSL. We're thrilled to be joined by Cindy Sparrow today. Wish you all the best in the new gig. And just want to remind you, this was episode 46. We'll be back with another episode next week. Also, thank you to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And until next time, we bid you farewell. Good night.